0: Or download many more free sermons at graceunlimited.co.za or livinghopechurch.co.za. Those same words, you know, that I just said, written a thousand years before I even was born. It would be so strange. But here it's amazing that we have an insider window. To some of the intimate and personal thoughts of the Lord Jesus, almost a, almost a thousand years before the Lord Jesus was even born. It's an amazing text. You can see why they're so exciting and thrilling. And one of the reasons that they're so thrilling is because they so much resemble the kinds of thoughts that we have, and they and they hold so much promise for our own lives during during the weeks as we struggle day after day being sinful people on their sauna, we were talking about just now. Hey? <laughs> so first thing I'd like to say is if we begin with the servant song, you will notice that the servant song begins with a heading in many of the Bibles. It's called the servant of the Lord. So throughout Isaiah there's this there's this figure called the servant of the Lord or the servant of Jehovah. And the servant of Jehovah throughout Isaiah Isaiah is a failure. He doesn't achieve the purpose for which he was sent. And God's people Israel are the servant of Jehovah in Isaiah. And a strange thing. Failure, failure, failure. The servant is failing. The servant is fumbling. The servant is not doing what God requires him to do. But then in these four songs, just these four particular texts, you have a servant who is succeeding and he's also called the servant of Jehovah. Isn't that amazing? So there's some mystery, there's some beautiful mystery in the text. So, interestingly enough, at all of the points where the servant of Jehovah, Israel fails, this servant of Jehovah, the Messiah, the Son of God, who's going to come into the world, he succeeds. And that's wonderful. It's like this story I was telling telling the kids You know, nobody else can climb out of the hole. But God sends His Son, and He goes through a whole process of learning as as a human being, as a man, and He becomes so skilled and so brilliant and so wonderful that He is able, as a human being, to rescue other human beings. What a glorious reality that is. I find that absolutely thrilling. So, of course, when God puts his servant on the scene he says this is my servant and he points to the lord jesus he pushes jesus forward you can notice the attitude that god has right in the beginning there he says listen to me you islands hear this you distant nations this is a declaration you know all of you people you think of the mediterranean world all of those islands dotted around in the mediterranean and then of course the world at large beyond that he's saying listen people listen people Here's my servant. Here's the person I want to put before you. In fact, in Isaiah 42 verse 1, the the first servant song, he says, Here is my servant whom I uphold, my chosen one in whom I delight. So he's putting Jesus on the stage. Just this one man, he's he's putting Jesus in front of you so you can look at him, so you can hear his thoughts, you can see the qualifications, you can see the type of relationship that God gave him. With his father beautiful beautiful picture this and i'm hoping that as you look at this you're going to say yeah i would like to see something about jesus that we don't immediately see in the gospels let's see some pictures of jesus from the old testament wonderful so you'll notice that the the success i mean the the experience and the success of the servant of jehovah is a very complicated thing it's a, just like our lives are complicated. Our thought lives are complicated. For the servant, it was a complicated thing. God becoming man. Can you, imagine, can you imagine a distance greater than that? The infinite God becoming a finite man. The unlimited becoming limited. He comes into this world. And on the side there, on that presentation, you can see I've got a, a world map. Just to show something of this contrast. God becomes man. And this man comes into the universe, into this created order, which automatically is limited. Out of the whole universe, he comes to the planet Earth. Out of the, on the whole planet Earth, he goes into the Middle East. From the whole Middle East, he goes into this tiny little country of Israel. And he, only come, he comes into this little tiny country of Israel at a time in history where technology is almost zero. I mean nobody can even WhatsApp each other or emails in fact there 's no, not even cd ROMs I mean we hardly even use those things anymore. Never mind tapes or you know VHS machines and all of those kinds of things I mean technology is almost zero they 've got the wheel they 've got rudimentary tools you know for stonework and working with water and and uh, agriculture and that sort of thing you know mining and, and that sort of thing but Technology is almost nothing you would expect God to send his servant into the world where there's massive technology where he just speaks like I'm sitting here on the carpet telling a kid's story and people around the world are listening to my kid's story. Just boom like that you would expect God to send his servant into the world in a time like that. But no, he comes in a very, very, very limited time in history. Where he's just one ordinary man walking around, and the words that he speaks are not recorded. I mean, no one's got a recording machine that's recording what he's saying. The 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 people who heard what he said, if they didn't remember what he said, those words are gone. Amazing, God's son, a time with limited technology. He comes into a poor family. He lives 30 years without ever appearing on the front page of the Jerusalem Times. You know, or on the internet. I mean, he's he's nobody. He doesn't even have a name. He's so unknown at that time. At the peak of his career, the servant of Jehovah, he has 12 men following him, and those men are uneducated. None of them have a degree in anything. Ordinary people. Amazing that God would send his servant into the world in this way. He leads those twelve followers, uneducated, and they just never completely understand what Jesus is telling them. Right till the very end, Jesus says, You know, I've been along you, been among you for such a long time and you still don't understand what I'm saying. You would think that if God sent his son into the world to, to redeem people he would have brought them he, he would have brought jesus in and surrounded him by highly educated men highly influential people with a lot of money and a lot of um, influence with surrounding nations you would have thought that that would be the way to do it like a big marketing campaign but for 3 years jesus is followed around by these uneducated guys who are arguing among themselves and they don't understand what he's saying and then jesus faces massive opposition which leads to a shameful and agonizing death. There's the servant of Jehovah. He's a servant. Obviously, he's a servant. God puts him into the most not ideal state of the world, you know, it, most not ideal place in the world, you know, most not ideal state of technology, the most not ideal uh, followers, you know, poverty. He, everything is, is bound up in smallness when you see the servant of Jehovah. And that is fascinating for us. I mean, a lot of the time when we look at our own lives, we think that if only we could get out of the boundaries of smallness, then we could make an impact in the world around us. And we do tend to despair. We think, you know, if only this was the case, if only that was the case, if only that was the case, and if Jesus, if the servant of Jehovah, could have listed all of the if-onlys. You know, if only I came in, in my former glory as God... And I came walking here, shining like the sun, and I spoke to people. This whole planet would have been revolutionized in the snap of the fingers. But no, God sends an ordinary man in very, very, very ordinary circumstances. And obviously, as we've read in our text, that can lead any person to discouragement. That can lead any person to despair, can't it? Now we're going to see how the servant of Jehovah dealt with that. So in the first verse, you notice... God is broadcasting his servant. You know, look at my servant. In chapter 42, the first servant song, here is my servant whom I uphold, my chosen one in whom I delight. He's declaring him. Here's the servant of Jehovah. Look at him, everybody. So, of course, as the whole world looks at him, they think, but he's so ordinary. Such a small little man. Like I was speaking to the kids about the chief sending his son into the hole to help them. And all the kids look at this little baby. What's this little baby going to do? Is the rope lying on the floor. Now this baby must climb up out of this hole and take the rope with him and pull us out. No ways. Even if the baby could climb out, how is he ever going to pull us out with a rope? And that's pretty much when, when God puts his servant on display, they're like, he's a baby. He comes in here as a baby. I mean, what good is this going to do? And even as he grows, he doesn't have a reputation. How is that going to help us? He doesn't have anything. He's... You know, he's an ordinary person. He's without influence. How's this person going to help us? But notice some of the credentials that God puts on this child, on his son, on the servant. And I think if we look at these credentials, we realize that if we look at the Son of God in that way, and we laugh at that, we say, hey, this is, this is so ordinary, this is impotent, he can't help us. Then we're looking at the wrong credentials. And look at these beautiful credentials that we it's so easy to lose sight of in a in a world that is full of technology. He says in verse 1, he says, He was called. Before I was born, the Lord called me. Imagine being called by God. God comes to you and he calls you. Alan. Samuel. Samuel. <laughs> Imagine God coming to you and calling your name. Can you imagine the privilege of God calling you, coming to speak to you, God giving you a mission? doesn't matter what the mission looks like, what a privilege that God called you. God called you to Himself. And if you are a true believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, according to Romans 8, those whom He predestined, He what? He also called. If you're a true believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, one of the greatest values... That God has demonstrated in His relationship with you is that He came to you and He called you as an individual. What an absolute privilege. How many times do we think about that when we think about our smallness in this world? I am called by God. And the servant says, Before I was born, the Lord called me. At every time in his life, he was conscious that he was particularly known and purposed by his Father the lord imagine him as a child saying this doesn't look very big but my father my heavenly father has called me to a purpose imagine you washing the dishes this doesn't look very big or heroic but my father has called me to a purpose and this is part of my purpose you know washing your socks you know writing exams that even exams that you think you're not going to pass this doesn't look very glorious but i know that i am I'm called by God to a purpose. What a wonderful reality. And then the second thing the servant of Jehovah points out, also in verse 1, he says, From my birth he has made mention of my name. So he has called and he has named. I know in different countries, different cultures, names have different meanings. So for example, in my own culture, you know, in, in a more you know, sort of English, white, British, you know, we originally hundreds of years ago came from Scottish descent. But, you know, you give a name to somebody, you don't actually care what that name means. You just like the sound of the name. So you call somebody by that name. But of course, many times when I speak to my African brothers and sisters, like uh, one of my first questions is, what does your name mean? When they tell me this is my name. You know, they tell me what their name means, and I'm like, that's wonderful, and it's so nice to meet people who are conscious that they have been named by their parents with a specific intention. I'm going to call you this name because you are a blessing to me. I'm going to call you this because uh, now I'm full. I'm grateful that God has given me so many children. You know, all of all of the names that have meanings are beautiful. And what a wonderful thing that from his birth, the servant of Jehovah, the Lord, has spoken his name. He has made mention of his name. Imagine that, 700 years before the, the, the servant of Jehovah comes into this world. God is speaking about him in the servant songs. From his birth, what is it like for the Lord, Jehovah, to be making mention of the name of the servant of Jehovah? You mind, Jesus Jehovah saves. <laughs> Imagine having a name like that. Jehovah saves. And there's that child crawling around on the floor, Jehovah saves. Jesus, what does that say about me? It has something to do about the, with the identity of that child. He's crawling around, but he is Jehovah saving people. He's going to save his own parents. He's going to save his own brothers and sisters. He's the one who's at the bottom of the hole and he's going to successfully climb right to the top of that hole with the rope and he's going to pull his people out of that hole. Jehovah saves. What a glorious reality that he was named and the Lord kept making mention of his name, showing a special relationship between him and the father, showing that this is a deeply personal thing. And not only is it that, but it's a public acknowledgement. God stands with this child. God stands with this child who's growing and becoming a young man and becoming an adult. And as he comes into his full experience of the saving work that God had prepared him for, it becomes more and more and more special. Until we see the Lord Jesus Christ on the cross calling out, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? It's a close, special, beautiful relationship that the Father has with the servant of Jehovah. So not only was he called... But he was also named. This made this very personal. Now you can see the criteria that God considers important. You might be ordinary, but if you're called by God, if you're named by God, what a beautiful, beautiful reality this is. This is personal. This is special. But then also he was prepared. Not only was he called and named, but he was prepared. In verse 2, he said, He made my mouth like a sharpened sword. So God, Jehovah, made the mouth of the servant like a sharpened sword. In this verse 2, it's got two elements in it. So we're going to split these verses. And we're going to, I'm going to show you how they work. He said, he made my mouth like a sharpened sword. In the shadow of his hand he hid me. Verse, the next half of that verse says, he made me into a polished arrow. And he concealed me in his quiver. So you can see, he made this and then he hid this. And he says that twice. So in two ways, he made my mouth like a sharpened sword. He made me into a polished arrow. You know, two things that the Father made him to be. And then both of those things that the Father made him to be, the Father also hid those things. You know, it's almost like when you are in a social setting, talking to somebody, and you're getting all clever about some topic, and then you discover that this person that you're trying to teach has a PhD in that topic you like, oh, okay, yeah, I look stupid. <laughs> I mean, we've had that experience, or is it just me that does that kind of thing? <laughs> so, so the father prepares him, but then God he, put, he he intentionally hides that aspect of the servant that he's been honing and refining and sharpening and making beautiful uh, all of these years. He's hiding that. Why would the father hide that? Here's the servant of Jehovah. For 30 years, he's walking around looking like an ordinary man, but the quality of that man—it's an unbelievable quality. It's—it's it's like the quality of a sharpened sword. It's the quality of a polished arrow. Now, of course, you know I haven't—I've never sharpened a sword. I've just sharpened knives in the kitchen, or my Gerber, you know, that I carry with me all the time. I sharpen that to keep it sharp. But I've never sharpened a sword, so I had to watch some YouTube videos to find out why this is significant. And the one guy who was sharpening these long swords, you know, he was this collector of all these medieval swords, you know, from the Vikings' days and all the way back, you know, to ancient times. He had this collection of swords. And he was saying that it, in ancient times, it was very unusual to find somebody with a highly polished sword. Why? Because it t- took so much effort. To polish a sword. I mean, it's a long thing, and it just takes hours and hours and personal care for somebody to make sure that his sword is polished and properly sharpened. So he said, uh, probably the large bulk of swords that the people used to use in all of the ages that we've seen where battles were fought with swords, probably the large bulk of those were basic cast swords, you know, or even a rudimentary hammered sword that was hardly even very sharp. You know, they used it as a weapon, but they weren't. Extremely sharp, you know, if you compare them to the standards that we call sharp these days. So I thought that was pretty fascinating that if a person, if a particular soldier wanted a polished sword, he would have to sit there hour upon hour upon hour polishing his own sword. And it would take a process of going with a stone, then something finer, and something finer, and eventually polishing it. And to to bring a piece of steel like that to a, a highly polished surface took a lot of personal effort and dedication. You really had to want to use this particular sword for a long time. It's a very personal weapon. And that's interesting. That's interesting because here... He's made the God, the Father, Jehovah, made the servant's mouth like a sharpened sword. How did that happen? Did he just say one day, okay, I'm going to give you words to speak or, or was he, was his way of speaking being refined over all of those years as he was, as he was growing up as a little child, as he was mixing with all the other kids you know in his neighborhood where he grew up as he grew older and older, as he went to school, as he went to the synagogue, as he listened to people speaking, his, his mouth, his way of speaking, his words were being refined little bit by little bit, word by word by word. God was cultivating a person whose mouth was highly skilled. I think a lot of us just want to be able to speak really well without actually practicing. I think a lot of us want to be able to write books really well. But we don't want to practice. We don't want to actually write something and say, okay, that was all right, Yeah, but I can do better. And throw that whole thing away and start again. And then throw that whole thing away and start again until you become very, very skilled at your art. You know what I'm talking about, Hebra. <laughs> writing and writing and writing is a, is a skill. And I think this is exactly what the father is speaking about. He's saying that his son didn't just come into the world like this big genius he went through a long process of preparation, like a soldier polishing his sword and looking at it and seeing the reflection and polishing a bit more. And this guy who was polishing the sword on the YouTube videos, he's saying, you don't just polish the whole thing. You take one little spot at a time. And you polish that one little spot. You make sure that that one little spot is just the way you want it. Then you move on to the next little section. And then it's all the way one, along the one side, then all the way along the other side. And then you turn it over and you do the same thing this side and that side. It's like a four-part process, polishing a sword, sharpening a sword. And the poetry here that, that God brings to our minds about the servant of Jehovah, he looks like such an ordinary person because all of this refining process has been hidden by God. God is hiding him. He's polishing him and he's hiding him. He's sharpening and he's hiding him. There's a long process of growth involved. How many of us think, that for the Lord Jesus Christ, because He was God, it came easy. And if we if we think that, if we think that because He was God, it came easy, then we, we can't completely appreciate what God is saying about His Son. I brought this man into the world like that baby in the kid's story that the chief sends into the hole. He goes through a long process of becoming skilled as a human being before God uses him for the greatest mission that this world has ever seen so he was prepared training as an infant training as a child training in his family relationships training interacting with unbelieving brothers you remember even in his public ministry his own brothers didn't believe that he was the son of god that's how hidden he was god hid him so well that even his brothers couldn't detect a single thing unusual about him At the village school, learning to read and write. You know, learning to write a narrative. Learning to do maths, maybe. Think of him in the synagogue listening to teachers. Think of him wandering around in the fields of Galilee, looking at the way plants grow, looking at how the birds fly, you know, looking at the sky, observing the weather. And in all of the Lord Jesus Parables, you remember? All of this comes in. He tells parables about children and the way fathers relate to their children. He tells parables about the birds. You know, he tells parables about people's hair. He tells parables about all kinds of things, and he had to learn. He had to go through a process of learning all of these things so that he was equipped for that short little time of ministry. He had to understand nature. And he had to do physically hard work with his father Joseph getting these, you know, dove joints right while he's doing his carpentry. A guy by the name of Stephen Reese who preached a series of sermons on these servant songs that I absolutely love. He said he doesn't believe that one shoddy piece of workmanship ever came out of Joseph's workshop. I mean, you've got God doing the carpentry. <laughs> you know, it's, he, he can say it is finished when he sends this table or this chair out of, the, out of the carpenter's shop, you know. Okay, so he was called. How wonderful. How many times do we ever even speak about being called in this technological world? It just doesn't fit into the categories, does it? But called by God, named by God, prepared by God, hidden by God. This guy Stephen Rees again, he says how sad it is. I think he said it tongue-in-cheek. I think he was sort of being sarcastic, having a bit of a chuckle about it. He said, how many young people does he meet who who are distressed about the fact that their skills are hidden on a small little stage somewhere in the world when they believe that their skills should be displayed on a big stage? You don't have to be a preacher to feel that. You know, you can be an ordinary person in an ordinary job uh, and you can say to yourself, you know, I've got way more skills than this job requires. I should be put in a more prominent position. But think of the servant of Jehovah. God in human flesh comes into this world and he's hidden. He's so skilled. God is refining him and sharpening him and polishing him through all of these different experiences but nobody ever gets the impression that this is God in flesh. He does, of all people in the world, he has the skills that should be displayed on a large stage. But there he is, he's hidden, and he's content to be hidden. He's content because he's called. He's content because God mentions his name. He's content because God is busy refining him through ordinary everyday life experiences to prepare him for something that is going to happen. I do, I do sympathize with you if you struggle with hiddenness. We all struggle with hiddenness, don't we? We want to make a mark, especially men. We want to make a mark. We want to progress. We want to be productive. We want to leave a legacy. And for the servant of Jehovah, for 30 years, he's not leaving any legacy. He's not building any buildings. You know, he doesn't have any streets named after him. He's just an ordinary man. Just like everybody else walking around in this world. Just like that baby in the bottom of the hole in the kid's story. just He's just one of us. How's this baby going to save us? And then he grows and grows and he becomes so skilled that he saves them all. In his human frame. Amazing that the father hides him. And for 30 years he's being Being hidden until the moment God is going to pull him out of that hiddenness and he's going to astound the world by the quality, the polished, sharpened quality of the servant of Jehovah. And then we notice not only was he called, not only was he named, not only was he prepared and hidden, but he was also promised big things. He was promised huge things. Notice it says here in verse 3, He, God, said to me, the servant, You are my servant, Israel, in whom I will display my splendor. Imagine God came to you and said to you, um, Alan, I'm going to display my splendor in you. What picture comes to mind? Do you think he's going to give you the words to speak one day, like you're sitting on the edge of the bed, and your wife is feeling discouraged, and you say something to encourage her. Is that what God does when He displays His splendor in you? That's, you know, you obviously know that it's going to be something bigger than that. Hey? You're thinking of glory. You're thinking of a world stage. You're thinking of shining. You know, like the way that God shines with His Shekinah glory. You're thinking of something big, obviously, aren't you? And and God says to him, "I will display My splendor in you. Something glorious." He's going to come out of you, my son, my servant, the servant of Jehovah. I'm going to display my splendor in you. But for 30 years, he's just walking around like an ordinary man. Doesn't look very splendorous, does it? It's like, oh, well, this is another day. I'll go back into the workshop. I'll sand that table a bit more. You know, hammer a nail in here. Maybe put some glue on here. And then the next day, it's the same thing. Sweep the sawdust off the floor. You know, make sure everything's in order. Go look at some birds outside, eat some food, go to sleep. Doesn't look like splendor, does it? It looks so ordinary. But God has promised him something. God said, I will display my splendor in you. And I'm really tempted to talk about why he calls him Israel. And I'm I'm just going to touch on that. Because remember, the servant of Jehovah throughout Isaiah is Israel. Israel fails. It's the failing servant. But now he calls him Israel. And you're going to see a little touch of that in a moment. Who, it's the Israel who succeeds. It's the Son of God who succeeds where Israel failed. And God is going to display His splendor through the Son, through the servant, and, he's, and He calls Him Israel. But let's have a look at one of the most amazing moments of this servant song. And just stay with me. If you've lost me, you know, if, if your head has gone somewhere else, just this moment, you have to catch this because this is where everything Becomes so beautiful Look at what he says in the very next verse Verse 4 He says but But in contrast To all of that training All of that being called All of that being named All of that being trained All of that being hidden All of that being promised But in contrast to all of that I said I have labored to no purpose I've spent my strength in vain and for nothing how many of us can imagine these words coming from the heart or the lips of Jesus and as we see these words spoken of the servant of Jehovah Jesus Christ suddenly we say now I can identify with this man We all say, ah, it's because it was God, it was so easy. But imagine the servant of Jehovah, imagine the Messiah, imagine our glorious Savior coming to the point where he says, it's been pointless, 30 years, 30 years I've been going on and on and on on a daily basis and nothing's happening. I don't see any revolution starting. I don't see the splendor of God being radiated out of my person. Nobody even knows who I am. Not even my own brothers know who I am. No one believes the story. That's why if you go all the way to the final servant song, the greatest servant song, you know, in Isaiah 42 and 53, when he starts that song by saying, Lord, who has believed our message? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? He's saying, nobody. It hasn't happened. Father, what is happening? You're training me and training me and training me for such a long time and nothing's happening. It just seems so pointless. When's this thing going to happen? And I think you and I really understand what it's like to be like, you know, I've studied so much. I've prepared so much. I've been working on all these little things in my life for so long. When's the big stuff going to happen? When's the big calling in my life begin, going to start generating when I can see some legacy developing, where I can see that I'm going to leave something behind for my children and, and generations that follow me? I don't know about you, but when I read this, these two little lines by the servant of Jehovah, it just it touches me more than I can say. I've labored to no purpose. You want to say, no, Jesus, no. You performed the greatest work this world has ever seen. But he's saying, no, I've labored to no purpose. I've spent my strength in vain and for nothing. You, you have to admit that there's mystery. There's such mystery in these words, isn't there? You know that God could never think like this, hey? But this shows the mystery of of the relationship between Jesus' nature as God and Jesus' nature as a human being. Doesn't that show that we can really identify with the servant of Jehovah as a man struggling, struggling, struggling through this world? And of course I call this sermon, Do Not Despair. And you're probably thinking, Oh, well, if if Jesus despaired, then we should start despairing right now. because that's, that's a bit scary, you know, even if our great glorious champion, Jesus Christ, if he found himself in this state where he thought his, all of his effort was for nothing, then surely we should despair because we don't match up to him at all. Three years after beginning his public ministry, he's being dragged through the streets in Jerusalem in his bloodstained garments in agony and shame doesn't look like he's amounted to much, does it? The crowds that loved him, as he comes into his earthly ministry, the crowds are are thronging around him, and he's healing them, one after the other. They love him. They're hanging on the words that are coming from his mouth. They want to make him king. They They just think, what a wonderful thing to have a king who can just make bread. You know, just poo, fish and bread. You know, are you hungry? Here's food. Nobody has to work ever again. Imagine having a king like that. And those same crowds that loved him and hang, hung on his words and were fed by him and healed by him. Now they're cursing him and mocking him and they just don't understand the mission of the servant of Jehovah. Not a single person out of those crowds, not even one person who was healed, stands up for Jesus Christ and testifies for him on that day of his trial. Rejected by every single one, even his own disciples run away and flee. They leave him and they flee from him. His mission feels like an absolute failure. Just like the nation of Israel has failed, God has sent his servant to fulfill this purpose. And to the servant himself, it feels like it's a failure. It just doesn't feel like he's accomplished the task. The burden of God's agenda for every soul is resting on this one man's shoulders. And you know, there are people in glory already on the basis of the servant fulfilling his task. And it's almost like the servant is saying, it's too much. It's too much. How am I ever going to get this right? Right. I'm a human being. I'm walking in in the body of a man and I'm feeling very frail. Feels like I could die as in the garden when he said he was overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. He's feeling his frailty and his weakness. And he really feels as if there's been no purpose in what he has done. He feels like he's put so much effort and there's been so little return. It just doesn't seem like anybody's being saved or changed or transformed. It seems that the whole process that God is putting him through is too slow and too small. And we struggle with that, don't we? It's just too slow and it's just too small. If I draw a trajectory, I just think, you know, if my time and resources don't coincide at a particular point, it's it's pointless. I might as well stop struggling. It's like when we built that campsite on the farm. You know, we, we're quite happy to just persevere month after month, putting a little bit of money into buying some bricks, buying some cement, buying some ceiling boards, buying some wires. We're happy to just chip in because that's what faithfulness looks like. We just keep going. But me and my dad, as we looked at that project, we realized, you know, our age and our resources are going to coincide at one point. And we're going to realize that this project, yes, at this rate... We're going to finish this project about 150 years after we die. Then we can start the work kind of thing, you know. And you might feel like that that as well. It's too slow and it's too small. How's this ever going to work? So the servant ends in disappointment, a sense of failure, a sense of frustration, a sense of defeat. And it feels to him like everything has come to nothing. And that's the point of despair, isn't it? And if that is all there is, if that is all there is, despair takes charge. Despair takes charge of your life. But for the servant of Jehovah, praise God, that's not all there was. He was called. He was named. He was prepared. Yes, He was hidden. Yes, He was promised big things. And it just seemed like this was not going to go anywhere because... Too much time had been spent, and, and the end of his process was coming, and he hadn't accomplished anything. In the next line in that verse, in verse 4, it says, Yet, oh man, this is, verse 4 starts, But I said, I have labored to no purpose. I have spent my strength in vain and for nothing. Yet, another another contrast, in spite of all of How this thing seems, in spite of how weak this seems, this whole process, how ordinary it seems, how slow it seems, how not enough this process seems, he says, yet, what is due me is in the Lord's hand, and my reward is with my God. And there's the servant that even though he looks at the situation, and he says it's pointless, it can't work to be limited to the human form And human capacities is so limiting that I cannot see how this is possibly going to happen. But God is going to do it somehow. God is going to bring this about. God is going to complete this mission through me. I don't know how, but I just trust God. It's like Abraham in Romans 4. Faces the fact that his body is as good as dead. And and Sarah's womb was also dead. I mean, they're a hundred years old. There's no way they can have a child. God comes and says, you're going to have a child. And he says... I can't see how this is going to happen, but I trust God, and that is the key. As we're facing despair, doesn't matter how how the situation looks for the servant of Jehovah, he comes to the point of disappointment and failure and frustration and despair. But in that state, in that in that state where everything seems to be counting against him, he says, "But," or "Yet." What is due me is in the Lord's hands. Whatever God has planned for me and purpose for me, that's going to come to me. It's going to happen. If anybody around him said to him, how are you going to do this? He probably would have said, I don't know how I'm going to do this, but God is going to cause it to happen. We might be looking at all the technology and and marketing strategies. We might be thinking of how you can do a Google Ads campaign. But if this individual, if this servant has these qualifications, he's called by God. He is named by God. He's he's God's person, God's servant, the servant of Jehovah. He has been prepared by God. Yes, he's been hidden by God for a purpose. He was promised great things by God. And in spite of that, it felt that he had failed. And even that was not enough for him to say... I abandon God altogether. The hope in this, the glory in this, the biggest glory, is that the servant of Jehovah, just keeps looking at his father. He says, all of the precious stuff, the precious things and qualifications I have, are from my father in heaven. I'm looking to him as a person, and I'm trusting him in this dark time. It is the faith, even though God himself, is crushing him as an enemy, as he hangs dying on the cross, he calls out to his father, and, he, and it's like, I'm dying. This is all coming to an end. But he still calls out, my God, my God. The faith that grew through ordinary life preparation showed itself to be a glorious thing. I think it is, if we could really catch this, if we could catch the glory of, of the ordinary events in our lives. The ordinary children playing on the floor, interacting with each other, those are the events through which God is preparing you as a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ. Growing up as little children, playing at a primary school, God is preparing children during those ordinary events. He's not going to suddenly put you on the big stage of the world when you haven't been prepared through that school. And it's not just going through those experiences. It's going through those experiences in such a way that you know that God has purpose for you in this. I will speak kindly to this person because I know God has purpose for me learning this lesson at this time. If somebody wrongs me, I will endure being wronged because I know God is building my character. I don't know what God is going to do with me uh, with my whole life. I don't know what legacy I'm going to leave if at all. But I know that God is growing me through these ordinary circumstances in my life. God is not a hard and cruel God who is making you suffer because he likes to make you suffer. In the life of the servant, God is cultivating the absolutely best way in order to bring about his mission through the servant. So then, of course, finally, how do we, how do we look at this? We grow in faith through ordinary life training. That's it. Instead of heading for the big stuff all of the time, the big mission. God, what's the big mission? Put me there. Put me there. It's God, help me to be faithful today in this moment. Help me, Lord, while you are busy polishing me. Help me while you're busy sharpening me. Help me while you're making me into a tool that you can, or, or a weapon that you're going to use at a particular time, at a particular place, and you will display your splendor in me. Because I'll say, wow, that was God. That was God who formed me like that. It was God who cultivated that in me so I was able to function in that particular situation. You might have one moment where God will display his splendor in you like he did in the servant of Jehovah. Some of the ordinary things you can do basically is apply yourself as the servant of Jehovah did to understanding God's big picture in scripture. Apply yourself to the word of God. Ask God to help you to become a man or a woman or a child of character through studying the Word of God. Make it personal. God, you've called me. God, you've named me. God, you are busy preparing me. God, you may be hiding me at this stage. God, you've promised great things to me. God, you know that I do feel like my life is a failure. Help me now to understand your Word and to get on the path to move forward in this way, understanding God through scripture and independence on him as the servant of jehovah simply depended on him in faith love and faithfulness in your relationships with your friends and family and church members relationships are hard aren't they they're difficult remember the book relationships a mess worth making relationships are messy and they give us massive opportunity to grow in character To become people, little by little by little by little, building up as individuals that God is able to use at the point when he wants to use us. Faithful commitment in ordinary service teams at the church. And see guys coming here in the mornings, putting the chairs in the right place, setting up all the things that we need to make this service function. What a beautiful, beautiful thing that is. That is like the servant of Jehovah. An ordinary life that everybody looked at and thought is just an ordinary man. But inside, the quality of that person, his, his building, his building, his building, his attitude, you know, his capacities, his desires to do the things that honor God. In, even if it feels like a failure. God, I'm going to be here moving chairs my whole life. It doesn't matter because that person is being built up as a man of character. I will get here and I will serve faithfully on a team to help the body of Christ. So how wonderful it is that God calls his servant. God names his servant. God prepares his servant. God hides his servant, yes. And God promises big things to his servant. And at times... God's servant may come to the point where he'll say, it's pointless, I've really messed up. It just seems pointless. But at the same time, even in that despair, he has a glorious and wonderful faith that constantly depends on God, saying, God, this looks like a mess, but I trust that you are going to complete your mission in me. So in conclusion, we just say, the servant of Jehovah, Jesus, was called, named, prepared, hidden and promised glory yet he still struggled with a sense of failure when he looked at the ordinariness of his life and his accomplishments yet even though his sense of fa- even through his sense of failure he maintained his faithful dependence on his father and through a life that seemed ordinary and purposeless purpose, <laughs> seemed ordinary and purposeless god brought about the greatest and most glorious victory in history Like the servant of Jehovah, you, Christian, have been called, named, prepared, hidden, and you've received glorious promises. You too will likely experience a sense of failure. Yet like the servant of Jehovah, God will accomplish his purposes in you through your faithfulness in ordinary life. Lord, thank you that you've given us the snapshot of the servant of Jehovah. Lord, it's so amazing that you would actually give us these photographs of the servant of jesus christ of the great messiah hundreds of years before he was even born even his inner thoughts even isaiah 53 for example we see him on the cross we see his thoughts psalm 22 we hear his words and lord i pray that you would help us in our ordinariness today to remember the ordinariness of the servant of jehovah and what you brought about through his life Help us, Lord, to get through the ordinariness of our lives, knowing that our greatest qualification is being known by you, being called by you, being named by you, being prepared by you, and yes, being hidden by you, yes, being promised great things by you. Lord, also, knowing that we will experience times where it just doesn't seem to be coming together. But, Lord, we pray that even in those times, the great thing would be that we would look at you with a dependent and childlike faith and say, God, I completely trust you to pull me out of this hole and to accomplish your purpose in my life. Lord, we thank you that we can pray these things to you and trust you to answer this prayer. And we pray these things in Jesus' lovely name. Amen.